Welcome to the Accelerate America podcast, brought to you by Emerson. My name is Michael Gary. I'm the editor of Accelerate America. Welcome to a special edition of the Accelerate America podcast, brought to you on site at the Food Marketing Institute Energy and Store Development Conference. My name is Michael Gary, editor of Accelerate America, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Elise Heron, reporter for Accelerate America, and Derek Hamilton, technical editor and VP of Business Development for Sheco America. Hi, guys. Hi, Michael. Hi. So we're at the end of the second and final day of the conference, um, and we're here to give you our impressions of what we heard and saw. Uh, you'll be getting much more detail on this in Accelerate America in the coming months, as well as on our websites, r744.com, hydrocarbons21.com, and ammonia21.com. It was a uh, jam-packed conference, as these conferences always are, with plenty of sessions and meetings and so on. And it started Sunday night with a... Uh, manufacturer retailer exchange and opening reception. I had an interesting conversation with Charlie Hahn of True Manufacturing, which I wrote about on hydrocarbons21.com. He Charlie is a member of the committee that is looking into raising the charge limit for hydrocarbon from 150 for commercial applications, the IEC committee. And he gave me an update. Basically, there's a meeting coming up next week in Vladivostok, Russia, where they're going to uh, essentially vote on the latest proposal uh, concerning the uh, charge limit for hydrocarbons. And that was certainly an interesting little piece of information that I shared uh, with our readers of, of hydrocarbons21.com. And we spoke with a lot of other people at the exchange. You know, uh, just to echo what you said, Michael, it has been really a packed few days here in Orlando. Um, I want to say, you know, special thanks to to the organisers of the event. I think everyone at FMI has has put on a really uh, great and well-organised show. Uh, It's been packed with uh, some some really great content. Um, And yeah, I had had some really interesting conversations. Um, Some of the uh, retailers that are here um, have been... Uh, installing uh, and testing different types of natural refrigerant systems and I had some great conversations um, with uh, representatives from from Target uh, and from Whole Foods uh, and from uh, Del Hayes as well from from Hannaford supermarkets Um, and we heard a a lot of good things about um, what's been going on with uh, natural refrigerants in the the food retail space so for me um, as a first-time attendee at the, the FMI Energy and Store Development Conference. It's been a, a really, really great couple of days. And how about you, Elise? Um, what were your overall impressions of the conference? Yeah, so this was my first uh, FMI Energy and Store Development Conference also, um, and I'm a very new employee to Accelerate. So this was a great space for me to meet industry leaders and end users and see how those interactions take place. I loved the the Monday morning session on alternative refrigerants. That was uh, there was some great information there, and I think ultimately just a good conference to really get a very wide lens picture of the food retail industry and where natural refrigerants fit in. And so I was very happy to be here. It was a beautiful venue. Great, and I'm sure our, our listeners who also uh, read the news on r744.com. 
um, and our other industry platforms will have been following the, the live reporting that's been happening by, by both Elise and by yourself, Michael. So yes. um, thanks for that. Yeah, we were uh, eager to get the uh, message out about uh, natural refrigerant uh, news from the conference. So we did that um, in several articles online this week. We were actually a little worried that this conference wouldn't uh, take place given the uh, incredible hurricanes that hit here just a couple of weeks ago, but uh, apparently uh, they were uh, able to carry on and we had a really, uh, you know, jam-packed uh, session with, uh, or conference with, with uh, I think there were five or 600 attendees. So, uh, you know, the show must go on and it did go on here in Orlando. Uh, so we're very happy about that. We distributed our magazine here at the conference, uh, Accelerate America, the September issue, with uh, all the U.S. on the cover, talking about their 69 uh, uh, transcritical CO2 stores, which is number one in the U.S. Uh, in the supermarket industry. Um, and I, on Monday morning, there was a great session uh, called Alternative Refrigeration Case Studies with Paul Anderson of Target, Harrison Horning of Del Hayes, uh, Hannaford Supermarkets, and Michael Lettinen of uh, Heatcraft. Uh, and they all gave us uh, some interesting um, information about their natural refrigerant uh, projects. Uh, Paul Anderson notably uh, reported that uh, there are now propane uh, self-contained cases in over a thousand Target stores. They've really made a commitment to that technology, and uh, it's worked out very well for them with great energy savings compared to uh, previous uh, uh, self-contained systems, and um, that was very encouraging. He also talked about his prototype CO2 cascade stores, uh, of which there are 12 now um, in the United States, and uh, two of his transcritical stores, which uh, he talked about, and they're testing the uh, energy consumption, and I think it's the jury's still out on that. Um, uh, he's now looking at uh, what the energy will be at his store in Minneapolis, a cooler climate where they're expecting better results um, than they do in warmer climates. There was a really interesting uh, session about understanding the fire hazards of class A3 flammable refrigerants, in particular hydrocarbon refrigerants. Um, that was conducted by Scott Davis, president of JEXCON US, and um, he was talking about the results of a study uh, supported by the industry as well, uh, but conducted by the National Fire Protection Association. And um, it really was an uh, eye-opening uh, session uh, with a lot of uh, cool videos of uh, uh, hydrocarbon systems uh, subject to uh, flammable conditions. and um, But the upshot was that uh, they felt that it is possible to raise the charge of hydrocarbons in a safe fashion. Um, and he showed, you know, but it depends on the setting. In a large supermarket store, uh, there's more latitude uh, to, to raise the charge. Um, in smaller venues, uh, less so. But in all cases, it is possible to do, do that, and I think um, the manufacturers of this equipment are, are going to be studying this report and incorporating that in their in their uh, next uh, prototypes. Yeah, I, th I think my my takeaway from that, Michael, was that you know they've done a whole series of tests looking at uh, potentially flammable conditions um, for for hydrocarbon uh, display cases. 
Um, but really, w- what they've done is look, looked at really the absolute worst case um, in each situation. So, uh, for example, they would look at a situation where there was zero ventilation and they would consider what would happen uh, in, in a release case um, and when there was an, an ignition source present, when the release had, had, had really got the concentration to the, the highest level. So they are really looking at the worst case, but this is what they have to do when they're, when they're considering the, the, the safety aspects um, or the safety case for um, increasing the, the, the charge limits of, of hydrocarbons. Was there anything else that, that you uh, took away from that session, Elise? Yeah, so if I remember right, the presenter, uh, whose name was Scott Davis, he's got a PhD in, I believe, mechanical engineering. He's with JexCon US. Uh, he mentioned that there just aren't a lot of studies right now on charge limits and using hydrocarbons safely, and that really that's an area where that is ripe for more studies to be done, and, and that he was excited to see more work in that field. So it'll be interesting to follow what happens there. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, that there aren't a lot of studies out there. And as, as the discussions progress about hydrocarbon charge limits, the more scientific evidence we can have and, and the more studies of this kind looking at, at, at the safety um, of, of these higher charges, they're going to be essential, not only in helping set the limits, but also um, help, helping understand um, the, the, the risk that, that may be involved in, in installing this type of equipment. So minimising that risk is, is really what this is all about. Um, and, and this scientific process is, is, is the way we have to go about that. So I'm very encouraged to, to see this happening. So this morning, we got up bright and early and attended a 7 a.m. breakfast hosted by the EPA's Green Chill program. Uh, Mr. Tom Land, who manages that program, gave out the annual um, Green Chill Awards to a number of uh, food retailers who uh, participate uh, directly in the program or through uh, the store certification pro- uh, program that they have. And um, notably for our audience, the Best of the Best Award was given to Aldi US, which was very exciting since we just uh, completed it and published our cover story on Aldi US. And um, uh, Amber Hardy, the National Project Manager for Energy Management for Aldi, was in attendance to receive that award. Um, This is a very prestigious award. When they say the best of the best, they mean the best of of all the certified uh, stores that, uh, that Green Chill has certified in the past year. So it's a very prestigious honor, and it's based on the fact that 43 of all these 69 transcritical CO2 stores had been awarded Green Chill Platinum certification, the highest level of certification that, that the EPA Green Chill offers uh, for their uh, transcritical stores. Um, and there were a number of other awards uh, given out. Um, I'll mention a few of them. Uh, Price Chopper uh, Supermarket took home the Disti- Distinguished Partner Award, which recognizes stores that have demonstrated innovation in achieving Green Chill's mission. Benny Smith of Price Chopper accepted that award. And um, also of note, uh, the winner of the best leak emissions rate, meaning the lowest leak emissions rate, was won by Giant Eagle with a 2016 corporate-wide uh, rate uh, this is for the uh, cha- this is the chain category. They also give one for independence, but the, for the chain category, they had a rate of seven point three percent, which is quite you know, in fact, the lowest leak rate ever achieved by um, a chain operator in the history of the Green Shield program. I mean, when you consider that 
not long ago, the average leak rate was 25% uh, in supermarkets, uh, which is a major problem for uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Lowering it to 7% is obviously a major stride forward. Uh, we'd like it to be 0%. We'd also like them to use uh, only natural refrigerants, but this is certainly a, a very a notable achievement uh, for uh, Giant Eagle. And uh, Brad Morris of Giant Eagle received that award. So th this is always a very, um, uh, I think, interesting and an important uh, event at the FMI Energy Show. And it's, it happens every time uh, they do this show, the, uh, the Green Chill folks give out the awards. And uh, Green Chill is a really crucial program that's really helped the environment, helped supermarket uh, operators cut their costs, their, uh, their leak rates and their, and their maintenance costs uh, by millions of dollars. And um, uh, they have about, I think it's something like 28% uh, of the supermarkets are part of the Green Shield program, a, a significant uh, percentage. And uh, it's really made a difference. And, and, you know, we're all hopeful that this program will continue to go forward and, and drive change. It's also been one of the ways in which supermarkets have transitioned to natural refrigerants. In fact, the best of the best awards are uh, always uh, given to natural refrigerant systems, like this year for Aldi and transcritical CO2. Uh, in the past, it was given to an ammonia CO2 uh, system uh, uh, and, and, and other transcritical. So best of the best turns out to, to typically be uh, uh, natural systems, uh, which is a really... Um, uh, reflection of their of their uh, pow the power and impact that they can have. Uh, so, uh, what was your impression of that of that breakfast? Uh, I mean, was it a good breakfast? Did they have good food? Uh, I mean, the, the breakfast was great. Um, yeah, I thought so too. Uh, I, yeah. I really enjoyed that part yeah. of it. But yeah. the, the award ceremony, you know, d despite the fact that it started at seven a.m., yeah. it, it was very well attended. Um, I, I think it's worth. Um, just mentioning that I think Tom Land and, and the t team at the EPA have done a great job um, in, in keeping this program going and making such a success of the program, and especially given some of the um, current uncertainty um, w w w at, f at federal level. Right. So I, I think they, they've done a great job that the program continues to go from strength to strength, um, and we're hearing about record numbers of uh, supermarkets participating in the program so for me um, it, they're, they're doing a great job the other takeaway for me um, what was that um, Aldi being recognised for the work they're doing with transcritical CO2 it's really um, a big accolade for them I think being recognised as, as the best of it, best of the best is a very prestigious award um, and I think you know congratulations to, to Amber and to the, the team at Aldi for all the work they've done as we reported in Accelerate this month, they have some very ambitious expansion plans in the US. They're going to be adding um, something like eight or 900 stores, if That's I right. remember correctly, right. in the coming years. And, and those are going to be transcritical CO2 systems. So very exciting things coming from them. I could add on the EPA piece because there were a couple sessions dedicated to regulation changes that are upcoming. And people had a lot of questions about what's happening with the EPA right now following this lawsuit. There, today there was a session, the impact of DOE and EPA regulations on the food retail industry. Yesterday, Ron Elving of NPR came to speak, uh, and not necessarily talking about refrigerants, but a lot of the questions that were aimed at him were questions in regards to EPA. And at this point, just as an update, there is no word from the EPA still on what they've decided to do. 
Right. Of course, there was um, just this past Friday some breaking news regarding that case. Uh, the EPA was expected, well, was uh, had a deadline to appeal the ruling on HFC regulation handed down by the uh, appeals court in Washington, D.C. They did not respond. However, uh, two of the chemical companies, Comores and Honeywell, as well as the uh, NRDC, the National Resources Defense Council, uh, who were all interveners in the case, uh, all filed an appeal. Uh, so we'll have to see, wait and see what uh, effect that has on the case. But, um, you know, uh, that, that was certainly uh, something that was uh, causing considerable buzz at the conference, that, 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 that court case, a uh, very significant one that, you know, uh, at least temporarily has raised some uncertainty about how the EPA will uh, regulate HFC reductions. Um, however, uh, certainly, uh, you know, the, the, the jury is still out, uh, quote unquote. Uh, the EPA really still has to determine what, what course of action it's going to take. There was also, um, and in one of the sessions with the EPA conversation was a conversation about DOE. And um, Elise, what did you find out there? Yeah, so... These energy rules from the DOE applied to walk-in coolers and freezers. So there was a June 2014, I believe, was the original ruling, which was, I believe, two years later than the DOE had said that they would come out with these rules. And um, when they were released, there was concern from some manufacturers that the rules just they were too stringent, that they, they couldn't apply and they right. it, it wouldn't work. And so they sued. They won. Uh, so the DOE, along with some environmental groups, some energy groups, and some manufacturers formed a working group. They proposed some new standards that were approved, and those were set to go into effect January 2020. And a portion of those are, are published, but they still don't go into effect until January 2020. Another portion of those, as Trump came into office in, right. and this last July decided to extend the date that those would go into effect for another six months. Right. So that's a pretty recent uh, development. Right, right. That, that was announced in July. So uh, uh, that's when the industry found out that it got a, a six-month uh, reprieve from uh, those rules going into a, uh, in force uh, in, in, th- in three years' time in 2020. So that was uh, something that uh, we, um, we're going to be writing about uh, in, on our websites. Another thing I want to touch on um, is, is some of the discussion that I heard over the last couple of days relating to low GWP uh, refrigerant alternatives, which are currently being promoted by some of the, the chemical companies. Um, so what we're seeing is is there are a number of HFOs and, and HFO blends coming onto the market, and there, there's been a lot of testing surrounding the, the use of those refrigerants, and um, there's been some very um, positive news in terms of the energy efficiency of those refrigeration systems. What concerns me when, when we're having these discussions is that I consistently see talk about the energy efficiency of these refrigerants. But I, I've challenged the, the, the representatives of the chemical companies to tell me what they know about the long-term environmental impact of these synthesised gases. Because we know that these um, HFO gases have a very short life when released into the atmosphere. They break down within 10 days of being in the atmosphere and we know that trifluoroacetic acid is, is one of the um, chemicals that remains. Now, when I press the chemical companies on this, it doesn't seem that they have 
a good response to what the long-term environmental impact will be. So for me, when we're having these discussions about the efficiency of low GWP alternatives, we have to address the environmental impact because when, when the, the CFCs were th synthesised, we didn't know about ozone depletion. When the HFCs um, or the HCFCs and then the HFCs came onto the market, we, we weren't aware of, of the impact those would have on global warming. And I think it would be reckless to um, enter into a new phase of synthesised refrigerants when we don't understand the full impact on the environment. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, I raised the question myself and uh, did not really get a satisfactory uh, response. Uh, they, they basically say that um, currently uh, the tests have shown that the levels of TFA, trifluoroacetic acid, in fresh water uh, is not at a toxic level for uh, aquatic uh, ecosystems, but that's based on current levels. I mean, if HFOs uh, spike in terms of uh, usage, then the amount of trifluoroacetic acid will spike and it remains to be seen whether that will, you know, whether the concentration will increase enough to, you know, present an environmental problem. Uh, there's also the issue uh, that um, uh, uh, some of these uh, HFOs are, are uh, flammable to a degree and when they do uh, combust, they, they t uh, turn into uh, uh, HF, uh, hydrogen fluoride, which is, uh, you know, a very abrasive chemical you know, in some cases. Uh, so that's another concern. The uh, HFOs are manufactured using uh, HFCs and, you know, uh, especially the blends. So there's the, the question of what goes into making the HFOs and, and whether that uh, raises questions. So there's a, there, are, there are a number of questions that need to be addressed with that. Uh, and uh, certainly we don't want to have to go through the same cycle of you know, using a refrigerant only to have to phase it out, uh, you know, later on. Whereas with with natural refrigerants, we make the argument that they're future-proof. They're not going to be regulated. The, everything about their environmental effect is known. And they've been around for over 100 years. And, you know, they're going to be around for the next 100 years. So this, they're future-proof. And that has to be, you know, considered, uh, certainly in any kind of long-term plan that a retailer would make. So that's certainly something that will be discussed uh, for uh, the uh, near and, and, and immediate future. We'll continue to have these discussions and try to educate the industry about this issue. Yeah, and I think on that point, you know, it's worth looking to what's happening in Europe right now. Um, as we know, Europe are much further ahead um, when it comes to HFC phase down. The FGAS regulation has been in place for a number of years and, and Europe are further along the line. And what we're seeing there is, is we've recently reported that there are more than 12,000 transcritical CO2 stores in, in Europe now. Um, and, and so I think that number speaks volumes for, for what's happening there. And it speaks volumes for um, what, what can be done when when companies are prepared to, to take the long-term view and invest in a, an efficient and natural refrigeration system. Absolutely. And I know you mentioned this, Michael, but help me again understand where the byproducts, so when HFOs break down, they turn into TFAs. Where do we find those TFAs? Where do they show up? Right, so the TFAs are actually naturally occurring in the oceans, as I understand it, product of volcanic eruptions and that sort of thing. However, 
the synthetic TFAs or the TFAs resulting from synthetic chemicals, man-made chemicals, show up in in uh, freshwater, uh, you know, systems. So that's where the and also on land. But I think the uh, the biggest concern is around fresh water. Yeah, from what yeah. I understand, after the breakdown in the atmosphere, um, the, these can be dissolved into water um, and, and, and fall back to the earth or to the waterways right. um, and, and essentially in the form of acid rain as those chemicals are um, dissolved into the, the, the rain. So not something to take lightly. That's right. In fact, there's a study done in China uh, where the conclusion is that the amount of TFAs has to be controlled because they don't want uh, you know, the, the TFAs to accumulate to a dangerous level. And TFAs, by the way, are very durable chemicals. They don't break down. They stick around for a long, long time. So you know, that, that means that you know, the cumulative effect is very real uh, over time, especially if uh, you flood the atmosphere with HFO. So anyway, this is uh, an ongoing issue, which we're going to continue to address uh, you know, in our podcasts, our magazines, and our websites. Yeah, thanks, Michael. And, you know, before we we finish up today's podcast, um, I spoke earlier with our special guest, Andre Patinod um, of Emerson, and uh, Andre had a a few uh, takeaways and and thoughts on the conference. So we're here at the 2017 FMI Energy and Store Development Conference. It's Tuesday afternoon. We've had a a very busy uh, and eventful couple of days. Uh, with some very exciting uh, presentations going on. Uh, we've just taken a break from the last day of the conference and I'm sitting here with Andre Patinod, who is Director of Food Retail with Emerson Commercial and Residential Solutions. So Andre, uh, welcome once again to the Accelerate America podcast. Thank you very much. It's glad to be here. So Andre, the, your new title, Director of Food Retail, um, I believe that's um, come about as part of um, some kind of restructure at Emerson. Um, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's something uh, relatively new. Uh, it happened about a month ago, so I went from Director of uh, Global CO2 to uh, this new role, which is North American-centric now. So I moved into a North American-centric role, still looking after the CO2 inquiries, internal and external, of course. We're not letting that fall. And the team that I had with me is continuing to manage the CO2, of course. Uh, we do that. But uh, the new structure is, is really exciting. Um, it's something that uh, I think our customers will find very beneficial uh, for speed to market, you know, things are happening so quickly today that we thought we should take a look at our business and say, okay, uh, instead of having individual divisions, because Emerson's a huge company, have a lot of divisions, and was structured to have presidents for those divisions, and those divisions had individual goals and objectives. Well, now what we've decided to do um, is have one leader overlooking the entire cold chain. So now all of our objectives are tied to the major cold chain objectives. And within that major cold chain, we've broken it out into verticals. So there's a food retail vertical. There is a food service vertical. So your restaurants and your C-stores and so on. You have your transportation vertical, your, your reefers, your shipping containers, refrigerated shipping containers. And then you have your aftermarket uh, vertical. So I fall into the food retail vertical, and within that vertical now you have all your 
your control specialist sales team, but you also have your compression sales team, um, and they're going to be cross-training each other so they can, you know, help their customers on controls and compressions together. Then there's a technical team to support the sales team, and where I fall in is the, the business development. Uh, so I have to have a team as well to support the strategy of the food service and help them be more efficient in their day-to-day jobs. So it, it's very exciting. So yeah, I, I just mentioned there in the introduction, it's been a really busy few days here um, in Orlando. Um, how's it been for you? It's been uh, really, really rewarding, actually. It's, uh, we have quite a few people here from Emerson um, and uh, contributing in different ways. So we, we were sponsored to the conference. Uh, the main conference, as well as the energy track sponsorship. So, so we're proud of that and uh, being able to contribute in that way. And uh, we just had a seminar today by uh, Rajan Rajendran and Mike Saunders, both of Emerson, uh, who, who spoke along with Michael Peterson of Honeywell on an uh, interesting topic of store architectures and thinking about, you know, new architectures from a uh, uh, sustainability point of view. So it's been a great day, great three, two days, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I, I sat in on on that presentation this afternoon, and it was uh, it, w- it was really interesting to see the the more holistic approach of looking at stored architecture and really taking a step back from um, so some of the the designs that have been developed over the past years and really going back to basics and uh, seeing really what the best solution is from an overall environmental perspective. Exactly. It, it, it was interesting to me as well. It's just that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, we, we try to look harder than maybe we should. And uh, so it's kind of taking a step back and say, is there a way of, of looking at architectures in a different way, do it a little spin on it, add a little technology that may not have been around 10 or 15 years ago, and can we make it better than it was? And that's kind of the gist of the whole presentation. Um, so it was interesting, kind of thought-provoking. Excellent. And uh, aside from that, were there any other uh, highlights of the conference for you, Andre? Uh, for myself, uh, a lot of the one, one of the reasons I love coming to to this conference is I really get an appreciation from the end user's point of view on on how important energy is to their business and what are they doing to reduce energy usage in their space. And it's not just about energy, of course. It, it's, it's development of those stores and also reducing maintenance costs, which is a big driver. So um, when I started coming to these conferences about five years ago, total cost of ownership was, you know, talked about so much. And it got, it got me uh, very intrigued about how can you continue to drive total cost of ownership, not, not just in the new stores that are installed, but what about the fleet of thousands of stores in the U.S. that are maybe 15 years old? And what can we do to that fleet to help reduce their overall carbon equivalency, maybe change the refrigerator to, to lower GWP gases while giving it a few more years of life while the new, uh, more sustainable stores are built? Okay, yeah, and that makes me think of um, you know some of the, the great work that Emerson have been doing at the... Helix Innovation Center, and I know you've been looking at various system architectures and, and testing energy efficiency. So, you know, is, is there any news from Helix? Will there be any more results coming from there soon? Uh, 
actually, there will be very shortly. Uh, I expected the results to be out by now. You know, when I spoke at the Atmosphere Conference uh, in San Diego, I was expecting to have our first round completed by September. That has unfortunately not happened for a couple of hiccups that we've had along the way that we've corrected in getting ready to pull data. But, but yes, from the CO2 booster transcritical system and the high ambient solutions testing, you're going to start seeing a, uh, some, some results coming out of, out of that in an organized fashion um, as well so that you know, it would be consistently the same so we can uh, you know, communicate that news. So that's one thing. There's other, uh, of course, work that we continuously do there, some proprietary and some not. Uh, that's the whole you know, uh, purpose of the Innovation Center. But there's some other, other architectures being trialed and, and tested uh, uh, very positively there that we hope to be able to share with the industry at some point. Um, what those results are in the near future, I mean, what those results are. So we're pretty excited about what's happening. Okay, great. And we'll look forward to, to seeing that as soon as they're published. And I'm sure we'll, we'll be able to bring that to, to our audience uh, when sure. the results come out. Okay, Andre, well, thank you very much for taking the time this afternoon. It's been a, a busy few days at the conference and uh, really appreciate you taking a few minutes to sit, sit here with us and uh, join us as a guest on the podcast. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Always enjoy the time. So thanks to Andre again for, for joining us on the show. Well, that'll do it for this special edition of the Accelerate America podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.